It's good to see everybody here this morning, and as you make your way in, I hope you got a bulletin. We do have some bulletins here at the table, and uh, we do have our offering box. Let me just remind uh, several of you as we get together in our open-air services, we take the offering in the box. So when you leave today, if you would please drop the offering in the box. Um, if you are combining deacon offerings, we normally do that the first month, but if you weren't here, one is the we are going to be doing the book of James through the expository. And so Scott Van Zenten is over here uh, under the Buddha tree um, with enlightenment. He's got all the books. So if you have not picked up your book yet, uh, please come and see Scott. He knows who's getting them and, and who's not. But we're planning on the first chapter this coming Wednesday. We have changed the group to Wednesday instead of Monday. So uh, if you can't be a part of that, please pick up a book anyway and follow along so that as we journey through James, you can be a part of that. Uh, we also are going to be beginning some Sunday school classes. Hopefully, as the time nears, the elders and deacons will be meeting this Thursday. Let me just petition you for prayer. Um, it is our desire, hopefully this meeting, that we will be able to set a date and to be able to go forth with some of the changes. And so I'm going to ask you already to be patient and kind toward us. As many of you know, there are all, all kinds of stipulations when a church moves back into a building as to how the restrooms are used, how the exits are used, how much room is in the sanctuary, how far people can be spread out. Um, and those are all the things that I've been praying about for several months. Um, and so we're hopefully praying about just picking a date to say, as of January 15th, we'll move back inside. We tried our best. Uh, to work through this situation, and you guys have been incredible. And we want to thank you for your willingness uh, to bring your own stuff, if we could call it that, have to take place for us to be able to meet inside. And maybe some of those changes we can change back when the time comes. But we don't want anybody to feel like we're just ramrodding, pushing over, changing everything to be different. We're honestly doing whatever we need to so that we can continue to worship. So pray for the elders and the deacons. They'll be meeting together this Thursday and uh, to try to make some decisions for the future. I also have a prayer request I'd like to share with you. We all know Paul Borgeson went through surgery. It was a little more extensive than they thought and planned, but it did go well. Uh, and so he is now in recovery. And so let's remember Lisa as she cares for him and also him in recovery. But I also have another prayer request I'd like to share. I had permission to give it. Um, some online may not realize this. It's not as important. But I spoke with Dick and Donna Littlefield this past week. And many of you know he's um, had some struggles here the past months and some up and down and, and falling. And they finally got to a diagnosis. And he asked us to pray for him. He has been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so he just asked that you pray for them and Donna as they work through this. And as his words are, hey, it is what it is. And we go forward. So let's just pray for Dick and Donna as well. So lots going on. Please pray for us. We'll have a lot more information. Some of you keep asking, when's the day? When's the time? How are we going to do this? And it all depends on so many factors. But I can assure you one thing. Every elder meeting, I remind the elders, and they're agreeable, that we are not making decisions based on the county commissioner. We're not making decisions based on our local churches. We're trying to make decisions based on grace. What is best for grace? How is it that we can move forward together? How is it that we can stay together as a church? And how is it that we can glorify God through all that? 
and so just lift us up. I'm excited. It's been a wonderful time in life that we can go through a pandemic together. Uh, there are churches that have closed. There are churches that have quit. There are churches that are struggling. We'll know more as we get through it all. Uh, but just praise the Lord that he has shown so much favor and mercy upon us that we've been able to do this. And so uh, I invite you to worship this morning with that understanding that we are here to defend our faith, defend our ministry, to know what it is that brings us purpose and meaning. And so let me read to you from 1 Corinthians before we spend some time uh, in prayer. But with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and if you would join me in the Lord's prayer here this morning. Heavenly Father, we are again so grateful for the opportunity to respond to your call. That, Father, we realize in this time how convenient it is to find ways to worship the way we want. Father, it's, it's very convenient to, to pick at the decisions of others. Father, it's, it's very comforting to do the things we want. But yet, Father, we realize that even in these times, you strengthen us, you encourage us, and you show us the way. You open the doors, you strengthen our abilities, you soften our hearts, you enlighten our minds. Father, you have proven that we were created in your image, and that with your help and your Holy Spirit and saving of your Son, Jesus Christ, we're able to do all things through Him who loves us. Lord, I pray this morning that as we gather, we would remember Paul and his surgeries, that we would remember Dick and his Parkinson's. Lord, all these we surrender to you, many more who have been sick. Lord, we surrender again the pandemic uh, victims, those who, Father, through this time have lost loved ones, have been unable to minister to their families, have been unable to do funerals, unable to gather at weddings. Lord, as you have changed these times, more than anything else, change our hearts. Let us realize just where the important things are and where we are in Christ. Father, we realize again that we come not with the wisdom of words. We've earned no right to be in your presence. But because of your son's sacrifice, we're able to come through the veil that has been rent in twain. And we're welcomed to the throne of grace where we can pray together saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Normally for our confession of faith, we'll use the Apostles' Creed, we'll use the Nicene Creed, we'll use questions from the Catechism. But today we get to use the words of Scripture. 
from Psalm 46. It's not in bold in your bulletin, but I'd like us to be able to recite and confess this together. So I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. How wonderful it is to confess what we believe from God's word. Now we have the opportunity to pray together as we confess our sins. So please pray with me the prayer that is printed in your bulletin. Awesome and compassionate God, you have loved us with unfailing, self-giving mercy, but we have not loved you. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We condone evil, prejudice, violence, and greed. God of grace, as you come to us in mercy, we repent in spirit and in truth, admit our sin, and gratefully receive your forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. And now we receive the blessing and assurance of God's pardon to us, all who believe in Jesus. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Yes, brothers and sisters, our sin is bad, but Jesus' death and resurrection for us is greater and more powerful. So I encourage you to rest in him. Go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask him to bless the time here. But let me say thanks to all the musicians again who are filling in. And for those of you who picked songs uh, the last several weeks, as you know, sometimes we have some brand new ones that people have wanted to sing and others are from the hymn books. And we've kind of taken the last uh, couple months and encouraged you. If there's something you would like us to sing, please let us have those. Um, we know those of you at home are working from hymn books, but many times we print them in the bulletin anyway, and you're able to have those online. So if you do have some favorites like this, uh, we are trying to pick some of those and use those through this time together. So I appreciate those of you who have sent those in together. But let's pray as we go to God's Word. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that you just enlighten our minds. Father, as hard as it is, let us set aside creation for a moment. Let us set aside the wonderful works of your hands. And let us take a moment to focus. Father, focus on you. On how it is that you can use us to defend the faith. To defend ministry. To know that we have a vital purpose and importance here on earth. For no other reason, Lord. 
then when it's all said and done, you would get the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. That's where we've been studying together and being challenged for many, many months about how to be useful in ministry and what it means uh, to obviously serve Christ faithfully and to trust in what he is doing. Now, I know each of us have our own ministry, and when we talk about defending our faith or defending our ministry, I'm talking about defending what it is God's called you to do. One of the hardest things in ministry, as we have learned through 2 Corinthians, is we're watching Paul constantly defend himself, constantly battle against those who are going against him, for he brought this newfound faith to Corinth. You can read about it in the book of Acts, chapter 18, as Luke reminds us of the journeys throughout his three different missionary journeys. But each and every one of us are no different than the Apostle Paul. When God touched your heart, he didn't just say, good, now you're saved from hell and I've got you. He said, now I've got a purpose to reveal to you. And there's nothing more defeating in life than when you're trying to accomplish what you feel God's called you to do and somebody else wants to tear it down. Somebody always wants to ridicule you to make themselves feel better. Someone always wants to pick themselves up by pushing you down. We live in a world that rather than using the highest standard possible, we have allowed ourselves to make decisions in our life based on what others have done to us rather than what God has called us to do. We're all guilty of it. We're tired of listening to the same old complaints. We're tired of dealing with the same issues. We're tired of the same humdrum. We've tried to work through the struggles. People just won't quit. They bother us to death. We've tried to work through this in a good way. The situations just don't change, and we're constantly finding ourselves defending what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And that's what's happening again to Paul here in the last part of chapter 10. As he's been defending his ministry, I want to encourage you to go through the same steps that the writer here, Paul, gives us in Corinthians on how to defend your ministry. Because there's going to come a time, I promise you, in 30 years of ministry... It seems that every place God sends me, he sends someone else to challenge me greatly. I'm reminded when Paul said, I have this thorn in my side. Now, I'm not thinking individually of any one of you, but it just seems that no matter where I go, there is always one that criticizes how you preach, what you preach, what your vision is, if you're too stern, if you're too soft. If the things aren't working right, and, and sometimes they come to me about things that nobody else knows about. When the offerings are down, and that's not about tithing today, they want to know, preacher, you need to preach more on tithing. As if I'm going to adjust my sermons to what's happening in your lives. One of the faithful things about preaching through the book of Corinthians is that when you leave today and you may say, Lord... That guy was following me around. Someone told me, I think it was last week or the week before, they said, you must have been following me. And I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. When you joined our church, we put a camera up in your home. That's how we know what to do. Now the truth of it is, God knows where you are. And there's times that I fail miserably at expounding on the truth of his word. But through those efforts and through his word, if you're reading it, it's the Holy Spirit that guides and directs you. 
and reminds you that you should never give up and never quit and never go another direction than what it is that God has set before you and called you to do. That is your sphere. Listen to what he says as Paul defends himself against these false teachers, if you wish, some of them, or even other Christians that are trying to assume the work that Paul did in Corinth. It begins in verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or even compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence that God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others. Our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in the area of another's influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now, I don't know what it means to be commended and to be approved and to be used by God. I, I've heard several stories of children as they go along in life trying to use the same words we do. I've shared with you before, one of the things that always brings me giggles is the Lord's Prayer. For the little boy who tried to repeat the prayer so many times, and before I share this, how many of you have ever sang a song and sang the words that aren't even part of the song, but that's what they sounded like? Like, oh, let's be honest. The national anthem is probably the most important one, right? We all say things that we think something was said. We hear it, we sing it, and then it's not until years later that someone tells you, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that. The little boy was trying his best to show off one day in prayer, and he's been doing the Lord's Prayer for others. And so at the supper of a bunch of guests, they asked him, and he said, Dad, I want to pray, I want to pray, I want to pray. My kids have done that before. We take turns. And the dad was shocked and excited. He said, all right, son, you lead us in prayer. So he went through that Lord's Prayer so good until he got to one specific point, and I've shared this with you before. He said this. He said, Lord, forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. <laughs> no, you just never know what's coming out. So the preacher's child, which is always up for me, was another one when the little boy came up, and they've been speaking all about being reconciled. They constantly reminded them that, man, our church is about the people who have been reconciled. The boy had learned that time and time again, so they went to a pastor's conference together, and the little boy said, Dad, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. So the dad took him along with him. The speaker mentioned, said, anybody here that want to share about the importance of their church and how it affects people? And the little boy raised his hands, I do, I do, I do. And the dad's like, oh, no. He said, what is it about you, your church that you like, son? They're talking about all these years of being reconciled and being right. He says, our church is full of a bunch of people who've been recycled. 
And of course, the pastor like, you mean reconcile. See, we live in a world today where no matter what we do, no matter what we attempt to do, sometimes what people understand us saying is repeated out there and what a difference it makes. Now, I would agree that we're a church full of recycled people. Uh, that makes only sense when we realize where we've been, what we've been through, and what the Lord has done to us. But when you finally get situated and you want to do what's right, Paul's defending himself against people who are attacking and twisting everything he's done. And today there's no depth to this sermon that I want you to leave with other than this. It is God who commends you because he made you who you are. With all of your faults, your limits, your limitations, your misunderstandings, everything that needs to be recycled about you is not a shock to God. And for you to let someone discourage you from being a part of what God's called you to do, is utterly against the gospel. And I promise you the day will come, if you will remain faithful, that God will commend you, and you will hear the words that say, Well done, my good and faithful. You are not here to impress anyone else. And sometimes we make decisions in life that may affect five, even ten years of our lives because we've made decisions based on people rather than on rising up and doing what God's called you to do. And I know it's hard. I can only feel for Paul as he is almost mocking the people in this passage. If you understood the Greek and its layout, you would realize that what he is saying here is several things about defending himself. I'll give you these as we go through. I know many times I give you three or four points this week. I thought I'm going to give you the A, Bs, and Cs instead of the one, twos, and threes, okay? So if you're taking note, don't put down numbers, put down letters, okay? Defending your ministry. How do I do that? Letter A. Outline it. Listen to what he says. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone of those who are commending themselves, but when we measure themselves by one another and compare themselves, they are without understanding. We'll not boast beyond those limits. We're not overextending ourselves. We were the first. I'm summarizing each of these. But listen to what he says in verse 15. We boast not beyond the limits of the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases our area of influence. Write that down. It starts with the letter A. I'll do an acronym for you. It's, if you want to defend your ministry and what God's called you to do, know your area of influence. In the Greek, that's the way of saying know the boundaries to which God has called you. Some of the greatest attacks that we have in ministry is because we feel like because God has called us, that we can do it all. I know preachers don't fall into that category at all. Though many times we find our fiercest critics because we find ourselves trying to do what many others should be doing, and we think that we can do that as well. God's called you to an area of influence, to a sphere of ministry. That's the term. He's called you to an area that He wants you to serve. And if you will use your gifts and stay within that sphere, you have all the confidence that God is going to bless and use you exactly as he wants to use you. But step out of that sphere, step out of that area, and people have the right to criticize you. People have the right to tell you to step back. People have the right to tell you to get in your place. It's amazing. I was listening to a pastor there in Rockingham, North Carolina, tell a story about being put in your place. 
he was preaching a sermon and they joined together. If you understand the context down where we were in North Carolina, we were in one of the oldest churches in the county, there in Richmond County, it's the church of Cartledge Creek where I pastored, is where Wake Forest University started. In the early days, they were a mixed congregation of slaves until they were set free, and right down the street was the Holly Grove Missionary Church, and so we had the white church and the black church. And so they would gather together in harmony and do revivals every year, and the preacher was sharing me the story. They got together one year, and the pastor was invited to speak to the congregation, and as you all know, in our African-American churches, which we love in Detroit, we have many, they're much more conversational with the pastor. So the pastor started speaking. He said, you know, I really believe God loves every one of us more than anything else. And one of the gentlemen said, come on, bring it on. And the pastor found a little bit of assertiveness and aggressiveness in that. And he thought, well, man, that's what they want to hear. So he said, you know what? I think God loves you not just more than this world, but more than anything else he's ever created. And the guy said, come on, pastor, bring it on down. Man, he stepped forward and he said, I think God loves you more than any other person. And the guy thought for a minute and he said, keep coming, pastor, keep coming. And finally the pastor said, you know what? God loves you more than anything else, more than any other person, more than anyone in the Trinity, and more than anything he could imagine. And the guy said, preacher, you better take it on back. Take it on back. You see, he was put in his place. We all realize that sometimes we do things that people egg us on. People ridicule us, they criticize us, and then they cheer us. And sometimes we do the things that people like because then we feel approved. Paul's writing something very specific here when he says, look, I know my area of influence. You guys are attacking me of the gospel, trying to claim that it's yours so that we won't come back and further the gospel. And the truth of it is, this is our work, not yours. They're your children, no one else's. It's your career, not someone else's. They're your parents. Who takes care of them? You see, when we find out where God has truly placed us, inside that area of influence, we realize that we are able to do all things. Through Christ which strengthens us. But when we begin to expound those boundaries and we get involved in things or other people jump into our area of influence, we begin to have conflicts. And then we begin to get disheartened, frustrated. We begin to blame God. We begin to blame it on the church. Blame it on church people. And pretty soon we quit church as if all the problems in life will stop. So Paul writes them in a special way and he reminds them that we have a gift of knowing our limitations. Not just talking about the area of ministry, but your own limitations. Paul knew that he had limitations. He's mocking the people, folks. Believe this. If you could understand it in the writings, he says this. Not that I would actually classify myself to any of you. That's what he's saying. That's the tone of this passage. Those of you who are commending yourselves and are rewarding yourselves because you're happy with each other and what you're accomplishing. Not that I would fit in with any of you. That's the tone. Because Paul knows that he has limitations. He wasn't the most favorable looking guy, obviously. And we know that he wasn't eloquent in his speech. And we know that he wrestled with Christians from around the globe because he persecuted them for the longest time. 
and many people didn't trust him. And so all of a sudden, he says to us, recognize limitations, that God created you for who you are, and he has placed you in the ministry that he's given you, and you should have every confidence in that. No different than the analogies we get throughout the writings of when Moses is brought up. Do you remember when Moses was called by God to do a special task? Do you remember what Moses' first response was to God? Oh, but God, why me? I am feeble of speech. I'm not a very good speaker. I think I've heard that same thing from many of people. If I say, hey, would you like to pray? Oh, no, 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 not me. I just, they could talk your, your, your head off at dinner, but don't ask me to pray. Moses says to God, I can't speak very well. And here's the amazing point. God didn't say, oh, come on, Moses. You're a good speaker. I created you. I know you can do it. Come on, toughen up. Rise up to the chair. He didn't say that. Can you imagine how Moses really felt when God agreed with him? Come on, God, man, I'm not a very good speaker. You're right. Have you ever had God tell you that? God, I shouldn't have done that. You're right. God, I probably shouldn't have said that. You're right. And when Moses said, I can't speak, he said, you're right. But that's not the problem. The problem is your heart because I've got someone else who will speak for you. Isn't God's plan amazing? That when he calls you to do something, he's already worked out all the details, that no matter what excuse you have, he's already got it covered. It just comes down to a matter of the heart. Are you going to trust that God has called you to a sphere of influence and you're going to be faithful to go out and share the gospel? I'm not talking to my neighbor. I'm not going to talk to my employees at work. I wouldn't know what to say to some of these people. We're on totally different worlds. And God says, you're right. You're right. But I've given you the words. And I've given you the positions. And I've given you the abilities. What I'm asking you to do is just be faithful to do the tact. Moses, just go tell Pharaoh. I'll do the rest. I'll do the rest. I don't know what your sphere of influence is. And I'm not sure where you've been torn down. I'm not sure how many times someone's ridiculed you, made you feel like you weren't worth much, challenged your task. Sometimes the biggest challenge we have here, ladies, is not your workability, but the world we live in when it comes to being a homemaker. One of the greatest callings in life that only women can do is to bear the children that God's given them and to help raise them in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. Oh, but if you want to mock them, talk about their house. Ladies, I won't come look at your home. Guys, you know the truth of the story. Regardless of what career you're in, ladies, regardless of what position you hold, one of the things that's most prideful to you is where you live. The security of the place that you have is yours. If we want to tear that down, let's just talk about your children. You ever seen a woman get up and fight? 
it's amazing that two men in the church can get an argument together. Hear me. And the women can sit down and still pray for those men and be friends. Fellowship. And let their husbands kind of work it through in hopes that one day they'll talk again. But if two women get in an argument, I think every male in the church gets involved. Because we feel like we have to rise up and protect what's ours. This is a part of us. And we're not going to let them get hurt. We're not going to let them go forth without any protection. Women, you hold such a prominent place that I want you to catch this. Just the peace that you bring to the ministry affects the entire church. Not to be upsetting to you women, but my first pastor in North Carolina, who is now with the Lord, gave me a bit of instruction before I got married. He said, Jerry, be very careful who you marry. So I have many friends whose ministries have been ruined because of their wives. Their wives usurp the authority. They become the pastor. They become the one who knows all the answers. And they become the ones who help direct everything at the church. And before long, they're in a sphere of influence that wasn't theirs. Their family is frustrated because the kids are being neglected. The family goes through all kinds of hard times and the church blames the pastor. And the church begins to struggle. We all have an area of influence. Men, your women are gifted. I like how one writer put it one time. There's no place in creation at all that when Adam was told he would have a helper that it says dishwasher. That it included washer and dryer. It's amazing what we understand in area of influence and limitations. Paul writes this morning and says this to you. Know what God's called you to do. Know what your purpose is. And don't let others come in and tear you down at what God's called you. Because listen to what he says. A, you have an area of influence. And B, you must boast only in the Lord. These folks were boasting about themselves. They were commending themselves, comparing themselves to each other. When you ask for a recommendation, you go to a friend and you say, Friend, would you be willing to give me a recommendation? The recommendation only really matters if it comes from somebody in a place that matters. If you're going to be recommended by somebody about your Christian life, who would you like that recommendation to come from? One of your co-workers who isn't even a Christian? Or from the kingdom of heaven? From the one who created you and knows you? There's nothing about having your friend say, Oh, by the way, this is a great friend. He's always been good. And if you don't believe me, ask my friend. And then your friend says, Oh, yeah, he's been a really good friend. We've always been good friends. Well, how do I know that? Well, ask him. He's my friend. That doesn't make any sense. You see, the people who were going against Paul were saying, Paul, you don't need to be here. We've got this. We've taken over the ministry. Things are going our well. And look, you can even see how well we're doing. If you don't believe me, ask my friend who's helping me. And Paul's mocking them. He's saying, listen to me. I would dare not even compare myself to those of you who are comparing yourselves and commending yourselves with one another. Is that what you do? 
If you get out of your area of influence and you're not sure what God's calling you to do, I'll tell you one hint. It's because you start comparing yourselves with what others are doing. Rather than doing what God's called you and keeping the standard to the top, you start lowering the standard and start comparing yourselves to others. Well, I really can't be what God's called me to be, but you know what? I can still be better than Bob. Betsy's never been able to keep up this high. We've got the old adage and saying that if you're ever caught in the woods with a friend and a bear comes out, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to what? Just outrun your friend. You see, that's when we're comparing ourselves to others. It kind of shows you how you truly relate to your friends, isn't it? Are you really a friend or only when times get tough? And all of a sudden, Paul writes and he says to them, we boast only in the Lord. Paul would understand that because Paul was persecuting the church. His standard was set by the Pharisees. His standards were set by those who were in leadership positions of the early church. Paul was trying to please man. He was trying to look good in the eyes of others. He was raised as a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, born on the eighth or born and then circumcised on the eighth day. He was raised a leader of the law. He begins to boast in all these things, he says in other writings. That if anyone has the right to boast, it would be me. And then he says this. But I count all things rubbish when I compare that to Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. What's your standard this morning? Maybe you're going through some frustrations and some bitternesses and some times that are very uh, unresting. And you realize that maybe I've gotten involved in things I really don't need to be a part of. And I'm letting things bother me that are really not my issues to, to worry with. Let me delegate those things out to the person God's called. Let me focus on what my responsibilities are. And secondly, maybe you ought to be boasting in what the Lord's done in your life, not what others agree you're doing good at. It doesn't take much for someone to come to you and say, Oh man, you are such a great friend. And man, your head begins to swell. I guess I really am a good friend. You've done so many good things, you're one of my favorite neighbors. Wow, this is going to be a great neighborhood to live in. And then the truth comes out. Oh, by the way, can I ask you a favor? See, people have learned the task. If we can just boost you up, let your head swell, and get you to feel good about yourself, then we can ask you to do whatever we want. Because you're going to tie it to our friendship rather than the standard of truth. Wow. Paul looks at these people and says, where's your standard? You're coming into Corinth and you're claiming to have answers for these people when we're the ones that actually went there, worked the soil, tilled it, planted the seeds, and watered it, and now God has grown up a church and you guys want to take it over and tell them to go a different direction. That's what's happening in Corinth. And Paul writes and he says, get out of your sphere of influence. This isn't your sphere. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to bring more problems and more harm than good. You're boasting amongst yourselves over a congregation that you didn't even develop. You're boasting over the works and the lives of people that you didn't even or weren't even a part of. And now you're boasting in your own works. Paul says, I would not do that. I would never extend myself, verse 13, and boast beyond the limits. Let me ask you this morning something very clearly. 
What do you have that God has not given you? If you're going to boast, you better be boasting in what Jesus Christ has done for you. You cannot lose that argument. You cannot lose when you put all the focus on Jesus Christ. I was a wretched lost sinner and Jesus loved me. He left the portals of heaven and he took on flesh. He walked amongst us and he took on my sin. He showed me all the ways to carry the weights of this world. He never once swore it down. He never once sinned. He never turned his face away from the Lord. He never stopped running the race. He finished it. He became the captain of my salvation. He not only reminded me of the depths of my sin and where I was headed, but he encouraged me, showed me, influenced me, called me, changed my heart's desire, brought me in, and saved me. It's the work of Jesus Christ that has me where I am today. If we're going to boast in anything that's happened, let's boast in the work of Jesus Christ. How can you argue with that? The next time someone starts fussing with you over something, and I mean it, I wanted to paint the kitchen yellow. Yellow? Who wants yellow? Well, let me ask you something. Do you believe Jesus died for you? Man, what a way to change the conversation. Well, yeah, I do. Do you think he wants you to go to heaven? Yeah, I do. Do you think he's going to support you and help you the rest of it? Yeah, I do. You want to paint it green? No, I don't. See, it's always a trick in there somewhere. But the truth of it is, when you're boasting about Jesus Christ, how are you going to argue? You want to change the conversation at work? The next time someone comes in and says, I just cannot believe he would ask us to do that. Who in their right mind runs a company this way? He's got to know that the people who are doing the work are not in line with what he's doing. He's got to understand that he's going to end up messing everything up and everybody's going to quit. And here you are, listen, when you have a chance, you just simply say this. You know, when Jesus died for you, it was because he loved you so much. Did you know that Jesus loved you? Watch how the conversation changes. You know, if we would just pray for our boss right now, we could really accomplish a lot. I wonder what kind of response you'd get over that. You see, when we focus on Jesus, it changes everything. And that's what Paul's actually saying here in a nutshell. He's saying, folks, God's given you an area of influence, a sphere of limitation. He knows who you are. He created you. He knows you. And he's not asked you to do something he's not equipped you to do. You can't let others come in your sphere and tear it down. The problem is when you begin boasting about your sphere and you begin boasting about your accomplishments, you begin to lose sight of the true focus of life. And now you're no longer doing it for Christ, you're doing it for yourself. And now you're doing it to compare with what others are accomplishing. Do we compare our church with others? This past week I had a chance in prayer time at our Presbytery meeting to meet with one of the elders from one of our churches called Chapelgate. And what a blessing to know that we have family members in our church at Chapelgate. The Moriarty's sons go there. They knew them and have been together on prayer teams. And as we shared a little bit about that, we began to pray together. But what a difference it makes because we asked about the pandemic. And what a difference. If we were to compare our church to what Chapelgate is doing, it was an amazing conversation. Because how is a church of 150 compared to a church of, let's just say, seven or 800? Why would we expect our standards to be like theirs? Why would we expect our... Uh, requirements to go inside to be like theirs. 
we could compare ourselves to Annapolis. Man, what a difference. We can compare ourselves to Trinity. What a difference. But you see, we live in a world today where if we just compare our church to what other churches are doing, we begin to see if we're doing it right. Are we doing what others are doing? Is that the true standard of ministry? Men, I challenge you in our men's group. Is our men's group successful because we're doing what other churches are doing? Is that the standard of what God's called us to do? Elders, are we elders doing what other churches are doing? And that's our requirement as long as we do what other elders are doing? Women's ministry, are you community leaders? Are you doing in the community only what other churches are doing so that we can keep up? Or are we doing what God's called us to do? Our area of influence. With our limitations, God's equipped us to boast in Him. Not to boast in fellow churches, not to boast in fellow ministries, but to boast in Jesus Christ. This morning, you will find your success in ministry and you will defend it when you boast about what Jesus is doing in your life. The sad part? Some of us probably don't have a lot to talk about if what we're going to talk about is what Jesus is doing in our life. And that's the true picture of where we are. Do you have something this morning that you could share with another about what Jesus is doing in you? Paul writes finally, A, area of influence, B, boast in the Lord, and C, it's because we're going to be commended by God. Your commendation is from God. I don't care how much your husband tells you he loves you. Nobody loves their wife more than I love mine. Even Nick. And nobody loves their children more than I love mine. Nobody. Nobody loves their church as much as I do. And nobody loves their pets like I love mine. I could go down the list. Nobody loves the green team like I love the green team. <laughs> so I can keep on going. But folks, the point of it is, when I get to heaven and God says to me, so why should I let you into my heaven? And I say, because I love the green team more than anybody else. Well, because I love my kids. Remember the old family feud strike three? I can't imagine being in heaven and there being a buzzer when God says, well, why should I let you in? Because I'm a good person. Survey said what? Uh, well, because I did a lot of good and my church thought I was a great leader. Uh, well, because my family said I was one of the best dads. But compared to all the other dads, I did more than anybody else. Uh... So I can go down the list. And let me just remind you your area of influence. First and foremost, you better be in the presence of Jesus Christ. You better be surrounded around His work and what He's done for you and what He's accomplished to overcome your sin. 
And if you're going to boast about anything, you better be boasting about how he's overcome your sin. And why he gave his life. And how he gave his life. And what it's accomplished in you by giving his life. And then you better realize you've got the commendation from God. Why? Should I let you in? Because God, you said you love me. And you gave your son for me. And you said I could come. You tore the veil in two. You called me to worship. You called me to my knees. And now you've called me to the gates. And I'm ready for you to call me home. I want to come in. Because I want the commendation you promised for me. You see, one day it's not going to matter what anybody else has said about you. There's not one person on this world that has enough to enter the sphere of influence of heaven and take the place of Jesus Christ. Are you struggling today? Step back. Know your limitations. Know what God has called you to do. Focus on what God's done in your life. Boast about how he's accomplished it. And look forward to the commendation from God himself. I would rather have God commend me than hear the words, Well done, my faithful servant, one time than to have the jeering of thousands of crowds watching me go to hell and cheering me on because they're probably coming with me. Yes, you can join this band of false teachers and live in a world and accept their praise and lead people directly to hell. Or you can pray for your area of influence, your ministry. Boast in the Lord. Know he's going to commend you. And then finally, let me just say these. Write this down, letter D. It's the discipling of all nations. Here's what's so amazing about it all. We're not extending ourselves. We do not boast beyond the limit of the labor of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence will be greatly enlarged. If you were to read that in its original, it's simply saying this. It is our desire to focus on you so that your faith will grow and you will reach out and plant more churches. That's what he's saying to Corinth. It is not your job just to get saved. It is not your job just to feel happy in Jesus. It is not your job just to know you're not going to hell. It is your job to know that you've been chosen by the one and only, saved, justified, sanctified, and set aside to be glorified, and in the meantime, disciple all nations. It's the Great Commission. Not one Christian was not given the Great Commission. To go ye therefore into all the world. Your area of influence is to boast in Jesus Christ and to strengthen your faith so that churches can be planted so that the kingdom expands. 
that's what Paul is saying. It is his only desire, and it should be your only desire, that whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God, so that the kingdom expands, and one day, we know we will spend eternity with the one who's called us. Set aside the complaints, set aside the comparisons, set aside the pity parties. Realize God's equipped you and called you to a task. The task of changing the world and furthering the kingdom. If you'll focus on your area of influence, keep Christ as the center. Know that your commendation comes from Him. You'll be discipling a lot more people than you ever imagined. And you'll see a lot of people coming home to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. But Father, when we face the hard times in our ministries, that we don't quit. Father, when we realize our limitations, then we're out of our sphere. That Father, it's okay to realize you have a calling on our lives. That our success is not to be approved by others. To even accomplish what we want. But Father, to realize as Moses did, that even with our own limitations, you're going to accomplish your plan and purpose through us. Father, I pray for the strength to go forth. That Father, we not fall into the temptations of fighting, boasting about our accomplishments so that others will accept us, bragging about our features and what we can do so that others will want us. But that, Father, we will boast in your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we will realize, regardless of what others say, we are striving and working for the words that we will hear from you. Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Father, equip us, enable us, and lead us. We ask it in Jesus' name. If you would receive the benediction, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.